0: title of the sermon this morning is A Journey Worth Traveling. We've been talking about living with a kingdom perspective, being kingdom citizens, and what that means as we've journeyed through the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning we continue, as Dr. David shared, walking through the Sermon on the Mount as we near the end. But before we read the text, would you bow and pray with me? Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we bow in your presence... We acknowledge your sovereignty over us. We acknowledge, Lord, that you have given us your word to instruct us in life and truth. So we pray this morning that you would draw our hearts near to you, that you would encourage our spirit and that you would strengthen our soul by the truth of your word. I pray, God, that you would give us minds to understand your word and that your Holy Spirit would apply your word into each of our lives individually so that you are honored and exalted in the midst of uh, this proclamation, in the midst of our hearing. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> this week we were able, uh, our home group was able to go and to serve at St. Vincent de Paul, and any time we go and serve at St. Vincent de Paul, we serve, generally we serve uh, the women's shelter. Uh, and so it's women and children who reside there, uh, and they're generally, they're, um, they've either undergone some hardship, such as uh, a fire that has taken their house, and this is the last place that they're able to go. Uh, or they simply don't have a home and they've moved to the city. And so anytime we go there, there's a a wide range of ages from infants all the way up through uh, elderly ladies. And so when we go, we feed, we bring food, um, and then we also uh, share the gospel. And so this is really a high point uh, of going and visiting with these women because we're able just to kind of sit down with them and uh, half of our home group, or the, uh, the ones that come, they, they take all the children off on one side of the room. It's just one big room, okay? Uh, and they take the children on one side, and we kind of stay on the other. Uh, and we uh, just do a Bible study, and share the gospel, and talk to them about... God's Word and what it means to live as kingdom citizens. And so we've been, as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, we've taken, I've taken opportunity the last couple of times uh, to share from particular passages in, sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount. And this past week, we talked about Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. We talked about the particular circumstance and situation they found themselves in and how easy it would be for them to look at others and judge maybe that someone would be looking down on them, or vice versa, and just kind of spoke and challenged them from God's Word as to how we as Christians should approach life. How Christ does this work of transformation in our hearts and minds. And then, of course, shared the only way that we can possibly live out the commands or the demands of the Sermon on the Mount is through the indwelling Holy Spirit who transforms us makes us different. It's only by the power of Christ at work in us that we can live out these demands that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter five through chapter seven. Honestly, it's only through the power and the transforming work of Christ by his Holy Spirit that we can live under any of God's word and uphold God's word. But we can't do this in our own strength. And so what we began by saying, uh, what we said when we began and set out to say and set out to look at and do is to see that kingdom entrance, entrance into the kingdom of God only comes by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is to say, those who enter the kingdom of heaven are only those who have been born again and who have surrendered their life To Jesus Christ. Now that finds us here in our text this morning in verse 12. Again understanding this truth. The only one who can live according to the demands. Of Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount. The demands of the law. Are those who have been regenerated by the Spirit of God. So hear God's word in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. Jesus says. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. John Bunyan in his classic allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, writes the captivating tale of the Christian life. In fact, if you have not read The Pilgrim's Progress, let me just pause and say you need to read The Pilgrim's Progress. The reason you need to read it is because it kind of puts in perspective, I think, does a great job at putting in perspective what, what Jesus is telling us in verses 13 and 14 about entering through the narrow gate, not the wide gate. And so it's this allegory, it's this parable, modern day parable that tells us about the Christian life and kind of helps us to picture what the Christian life looks like as we, as we walk on this journey. In fact, I would even recommend using it as devotional reading for your family, that you would read a chapter and then kind of search out all the scripture references in it and then discuss this journey that the main character, Christian, and his companions find themselves on really a great read about the whole of the Christian life. So in a moment, we'll kind of tie that back in. But Jesus begins in verse 12 saying, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. First, I, I want us to see that Jesus gives us this golden rule. And the only way that we can carry out this golden rule that he gives us, this great demand, is by the transforming power of Jesus Christ. By the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Jesus sums up the whole teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you missed all the other teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, great, you're here for the right one today. All right, Because verse 12 just sums it all up when he says... Whatever you wish that others do to you, you need to do also to them. Later in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus was asked a question. They came to him and said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love for God and love for neighbor are those character qualities which are most befitting of kingdom citizens. So in this, Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. He says it in verse 12. If you wish that others would do it to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So now Jesus has already called our attention to the law and the prophets. In Matthew chapter 5. Verses 17 through 20, when Jesus said to his disciples, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to what to fulfill the law, right? He says, I came to fulfill. I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And then he calls his disciples to live with this surpassing righteousness. Chapter five, verse 20, therefore. No, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, he says. And so Jesus is calling his disciples, his kingdom citizens, those who have said, we're going to follow you, those who call themselves Christians, he's calling them to a life of surpassing righteousness. Way back when, when we walked through chapter 5, we said this was calling us to something of deep obedience. Deep obedience from the heart where we we long to serve and follow Christ. And with everything in us, we make our lives about following Christ. So it's incumbent upon disciples of Jesus to live righteously and not to live foolishly. Jesus has been careful throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount to define righteous living. Even to say that those who are not righteous will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so here's the deal. The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule presents a problem for the worldly man. It even presents a problem for the the righteous man, or the religious man rather. The problem is that for these men who are worldly or who simply are religious, they're not dependent on God, but rather dependent on self. The demands of the Sermon on the Mount are utterly unattainable for humanity. Because of the selfish, sinful desires that are within me. I can't live in this way. It is inconsistent with who I am internally. But for the power and the work of Christ. When he transforms me. When he changes me. I'm powerless to live according to God's law outside of the Holy Spirit at work within me. So here's the thing. The law that he's talking about here, this law condemns us under sin. The weighty weighty burden we feel in trying to live out God's perfect law actually enslaves us to the bondage of our guilt because of sin. And the words of the prophets They point us to Christ, as does the law, by showing us our need for a redeemer. We need a victor, one who has defeated the power of sin and lived perfectly under the law to free all of us who are kept in bondage under the penalty of the law because of our sin. And so Jesus is this victor. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. He has paid the debt that we owe, thereby freeing us from the penalty and guilt of our sin. And now we can come to Him, come to God the Father freely because of the work that Jesus Christ has done. And He didn't stop there. Even then, while He walked with His disciples, He told them, it is to your advantage that I go away, because when I go away, I'm going to send another to you. This is the Helper. Scripture calls the Comforter. And it's the comforter who walks with the believer so that as we walk and travel in this life and come under the demands of of this teaching, of Jesus' teaching, we are not fleshing this out in our own strength, and our own power. We're living in dependence on the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit at work in you, believer, that's transforming you, that's doing this amazing work of growing you, of, of shaping you of carving out the areas in your life that are ungodly, that are worldly, that are pursuing fleshly things. This is the Holy Spirit at work doing this shaping and molding. And then, as we confess those before the Lord, and surrender them to him. It's the Holy Spirit who is, who is also equipping us and strengthening us to walk faithfully, following God to empower us and to convict us of sin that we might grow in his likeness. Why? So that we might image Christ to the world. We're called, brothers and sisters, to image Christ to the world. You see, the far-reaching demand of the law is unselfish love in action. If you think about it, that's really hard to do. Even when we love someone, there are selfish motives behind that, aren't there? Right? I mean, when I want to go fishing down with a couple of guys in Venice, man, I really help out around the house cleaning, right? I need permission to do that. No, but isn't it true that we need, we need to understand and see God's love before we can truly love someone else. The law and the prophets are fulfilled by the golden rule, but here's the pivot point for the Christian's redemptive mission. We can't love or live with a kingdom mindset if we haven't first experienced the love of God for ourselves. We can't give to others what we don't first possess from God. So when the golden rule says. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We can't do that without first understanding the love of God. And what he truly has done to us. In forgiveness. In removing this guilt burden. This weight that that bears us down. That's why I love the story of the pilgrim's progress. Because it was Christian who recognized that he had this. Heavy, heavy burden on his back. And he walked around with it. And no one could take it off for him. And he searched high and low. Talked to everybody he could about this burden. And no one could take it off. Until one day he met Evangelist. Who shared with him the direction of which way he needed to go. In order to rid himself of this burden. I want you to know church. Christianity, your Christian walk is much more than what you don't do. It's not this list of don'ts that you need to check off so that you might enter the kingdom of heaven. Being a kingdom citizen is about being transformed in how we live. The golden rule is that we love God and love others. Loving God then enables us to love others, to love our neighbor. And this is what deep obedience looks like. It looks like treating our neighbor as we want to be treated. It looks like loving our brother and sister in the way that we want to be loved. So practically, let me ask. How do you want others to treat your spouse? How do you want others to treat your children? How do you want others to treat you? if your faults or your sins or your selfish desires were plastered on these screens right here for everybody here and now to see, how would you want the community of faith that you belong to to respond? How would you want them to treat you? What would you consider to be the right way to approach you With the log or maybe the speck that is in your eye. How would you most feel loved? How would you be undergirded with this this compassion that says, Look, we're for your godliness, we're for your holy, We're we're, we're for your holiness, we're for your purity in Christ, we're coming to you in support and out of love? How would you receive that? What would make you feel as though you were being helped and not beat down? I'm sure that we could continue with these kind of introspective questions for the remainder of our time, but I think we get the point, right? The way that we want to be treated by others is the way that we ought to be ready and willing to graciously and mercifully treat others. Now take those thoughts of how you would be helped and consider others. Others. Consider your brothers and sisters in the faith and do the same for them. Be gracious and merciful and loving and compassionate. You see, the Christian life is always concerned with others. God's redemptive mission through Christ is being worked out through the church, through you, believer, through each and every one of us. Righteousness and holiness and love and fairness and equity and justice and grace and mercy these are the hallmark characteristics of kingdom citizens. And so it is the saving power of the cross of Christ that brings us to new life. And it's by deep obedience through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we are transformed from who we were to who God intends us to be. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Listen, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And so Jesus says. In the way that you want to be treated, treat one another. When you do this, this is fulfilling the law and the prophets. The only way we do this, brothers and sisters, is by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Only God can equip you to live such a life. Only the Holy Spirit can empower you to live in such a way that you're responding this way to others, to neighbors, with love, with God's love. In the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount, from verses 13 through verse 27, Jesus kind of turns a corner. He says, okay, so here sums up the teaching. Now get this, a choice has to be made, a decision has to be taken. And so in verses 13 through 27, Jesus is saying the kingdom has to be entered, and he closes the Sermon on the Mount with a series of twos. And so first there, there are two paths, then there are two trees and two fruits, then there are two destinations or outcomes or consequences, there are Two houses and two foundations. And so what Jesus is saying is, it's not enough, believer, just to hear. It's not enough, person, just to hear God's word. There must be action that follows. We have to make a decision. And so in James 1.22, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves in verses 13 and 14, we see the first pair of twos. That are, those are two paths. And these two paths, first in verse 13, Jesus, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. First, we see the easy way of little cost. You know, the paradigm here is the easy way of little cost is actually the way that cost everything. But according to the world, from the worldly perspective, from a worldly mindset and point of view, the easy way is a way of little cost. There's a powerful image that Jesus gives us here in verse 13, and it's as if you're pulling up to this six lane expressway, it's wide and it's open. And traffic is flowing, people are flowing through this expressway, going 100 miles an hour, just going fast. And there are no roadblocks. It's easy, it's smooth, it's this, this, this easy way. It's wide open. And There are masses and throngs of people on this journey. These two paths represent the journey of life. And there are those who enter by the narrow way, but first we see those who have entered on the wide way. They've entered through the wide gate, and they're walking with ease. Why is the wide gate easy? Well, simply because there's no self-denial on the wide way. There's no denial of a flesh, no denial of selfish pleasures, no denial of submission, or no submission to God's will, no denial of self-will. It's because on this way, the mantra is, I'm the captain of my own soul. I decide my path. I decide what I'm doing. I decide what I want. On this wide path, you, you don't have to admit spiritual depravity, or mourn over sin, or admit your wickedness, or face your own evil, or even admit that there is in fact a God. You don't have to deal with the hard questions of, of life. This is the easy way because there are many friends on this road to come alongside you and, 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 and bring you along in this way. One of the other things about this easy path is the language is different. Everything's relative. Truth is relative. Truth and beliefs are not about convictions, but... They're about feelings. Feelings direct the way in which we go. People don't say, I believe, but instead they say, I feel. The wisdom of the world is reflected on this road. And as the unsuspecting traveler proceeds further and further down the highway, the signposts read things like, make your own way. Where is God? You're good enough. You deserve it. Take care of you. Assert your feelings. Truth is what you want it to be. But what Jesus is saying is that this wide way, it is the way of deception. In fact, in 2 Corinthians four, 4, Paul speaks about the very deception of the enemy that blinds the eyes of this world. In fact, it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, the problem with this easy way is that while there are many people on it, it abruptly ends at the abyss of destruction. Look at what he says. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. And all the travelers, the masses that are on the wide way, traveling down the wide easy road, barrel off into the destruction, unaware of what's coming, unaware that like an unfinished bridge, the wide lane just ends. I grew up liking country music and uh the other night when I was looking at documentaries, I found a documentary and some of my favorite artists from growing up were featured in this documentary. And the title of the documentary was The Outlaws of Country Music. And so I decided I was going to watch The Outlaws of Country Music and see what the documentary was all about. And so the guys that were listed on there were Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and David Allen Coe and George Jones Johnny Cash, and a few others. And as I sat there and listened, I listened in unbelief. I listened in unbelief because the lifestyle that these guys had lived was touted as admirable, like they had arrived. And like somehow, even at the end of their lives, for those who had passed away, they had achieved some immortal status as they were living on in their music and the experiences that they had written about the hardship of their life in one sense. And the whole time I watched it, I was thinking, where's the redemption? What's the glory in this? What's the glory in celebrating wild, fast, and loose living when at the end of the road, it's just destruction? It just barrels off into the abyss of destruction. I begin thinking, these guys are real. They're like you and me going through life, following this wide road. I wonder if anybody was put in their path to give them the sign that says eternal life this way. How many more in our daily lives are heading down this wide road, this easy road. And the only signs they are seeing are relative signs, relativistic. Truth is relative. But perhaps the sign that they see through you, through me as a believer, is the one that points them to the narrow gate, is the one that points them to the way of... True fulfillment and true eternal life. The easy way may seem like it costs little, but in the end it costs everything. And so what we need to realize is that the kingdom of God is not found by following the masses or the crowd. The kingdom of God is found by deliberate and costly decision. Eternal life that Jesus is offering Look at what he says in verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Contrasted with the many who find the wide road. The many who find the wide gate, there is a narrow gate. And I think this narrow gate, it is regeneration. It's conversion for the believer. This narrow gate, it is the beginning road of life in Christ. And we enter through this narrow gate, not bringing anything of ourselves. For this gate is narrow. And your baggage can't go through it. Your self-justification cannot go through this narrow gate. Your pride cannot go through this narrow gate. Your arrogance cannot go through this narrow gate. Your good works cannot go through this narrow gate. Your family cannot go through this narrow gate on your account, nor can you go through the narrow gate on your family's account. It's not a family plan. This narrow gate is entrance. Not to eternal life, but entrance to the path that leads to eternal life. Eternal life is at the end path. But the narrow gate Jesus is talking about here, it is the gate of entrance into kingdom living. It is a gate of entrance into being a kingdom citizen, conversion to Christ and the path that we walk. This is the path of sanctification. This is the path of of growing in Christ. It is a path of falling down, but getting back up. It's a journey that you and I are on if we are following Christ. And get this. I think it is the path of the Great Commission that Jesus speaks about in Matthew chapter 28. And this path of the Great Commission, it is called, it calls believers to make disciples of all nations. That as we go, we make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them, leading them into know the truth. I think the theme song of this narrow way, this narrow gate, would be something like In Christ Alone My Hope Is Found. We don't bring anything of ourselves through this narrow gate, but yet we come with humility to this place. We come with humility to this gate and as we enter in, we are all and completely dependent upon Christ who himself removes the burden of sin that we carry around, who himself gives us of his spirit and transforms us. And so we come to this gate and here's how it happens. We humbly repent of our sin, confessing that we in and of ourselves are unworthy to have salvation. That because of our sin, we are a reproach in God's presence. But God, through Christ, has made a way for us to come through the gate. I think Jesus himself is seen as the gate. He's the path to life. And going through this very, very narrow gate, we even see in John's gospel where Jesus says, I am the door to the sheepfold. I am the gate, is what he's saying. He says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. In the pilgrim's progress, Christian and faithful, journeyed through the gate. And they were journeying on a, heavenward, on a heavenward journey. They were going to the celestial city. And as they were going to the celestial city, they came to a, a town called Vanity Fair. This town called Vanity Fair... Was a town where all things seemed to be great on the outside, but inside, everyone there was a ravenous wolf, looking to destroy those who came through their town who were not of the same mindset as them. The interesting thing about this path that Christian and faithful were are hopeful were on, faithful were on at this point, is that they could not go around the town; they had to go straight through the town. There was no alternate path on their way to the celestial city. They had to journey through that town. They knew that what awaited them possibly were beatings and imprisonment and mocking and being hated and being locked up and persecuted. But they ended up journeying through the town. What's interesting to me about the parallel for the Christian life is we enter this narrow road But it doesn't mean we stop living. There isn't an escape from this world for the believer. But as we walk down this narrow road, there are many temptations that you know the believer faces. And as we follow this path, verse 14, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. This word for hard, it is the word for persecution. It's the word for difficulty. And one of the things that we see throughout the believer's life as we travel is that we encounter difficult times. We encounter persecution. We encounter hardships. We have struggles. We have trials that we walk through, be it that which attacks us from the inside Cancer which causes our faith to draw near to God and for us to be strengthened. Or that which comes at us from the outside. The being shunned because of our faith. Even being persecuted. Like in Acts chapter 14 when Paul and Barnabas were preaching the gospel. And Paul was stoned and left for dead. But it says, what did he do? He got up, he went back into the city and preached the gospel. And he said that we must enter the kingdom of heaven through many sufferings and persecutions. We don't know persecution in our country like many of our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church know in their countries. But let me encourage us in this church. I'm not encouraging us to go out and look for persecution, but I am encouraging us to be bold about walking this hard way, to be bold about standing up for Christ, I am encouraging us and challenging us to be faithful with our words, to speak the truth of God's word, even to stand up in the midst of a relativistic culture and to say this is the truth of God's word and to live faithfully according to it. The narrow gate leads to the path of life. And at the end of this path is eternal life. This path is the path of discipleship. It is the path for every believer who confesses faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The path is not optional. Bill Mounts said, the church is full of people who think the gate is necessary and the path is optional. This perspective of I'm going to take the front seat on earth and then I'm going to take a back seat in heaven. I'm going to settle for for a house at the bottom of the hill, not the mansion on top of the hilltop. It's kind of our, uh, our our approach a lot of times when it comes to this perspective. And we have this bad euphemism that says once saved, always saved for the Christian life. Just because our name is on a church roll. It doesn't mean. That we have eternal security. I want us to hear that. It doesn't mean just because we attend church, it doesn't mean that we have eternal security. It doesn't mean that we have fire insurance. Faith that Jesus is speaking about. It is faith that is persistent. It's faith that continues on. In the midst of the hard way, the difficult journey, it's faith that continues to walk. And so we should say instead of once saved, always saved, when saved, always saved. Because the Holy Spirit is the down payment in our lives for our salvation. So that when we are justified, Romans chapter 8 that Pastor Andrew spoke about earlier, when we are justified... We're on this road to being sanctified. When we're regenerated, then we're justified before God, then we're sanctified ultimately and glorified ultimately. So this path is the path of discipleship. It's the path about sanctification. I was going to use this video, but I'll just tell you about it instead. There was a video that I saw uh, on the Internet. It was on a, a Facebook link. I don't know who posted it. But it was—it uh, said, your sanctification, all right? And the video was of a gentleman who gets on the escalator <laughs> and he starts going up. The escalator is going up and one foot keeps getting further and further away. And then he kind of backs down and he gets back up and he gets another foot on and he keeps going further and further up. And finally, he just loses his balance and he falls. And then he kind of rolls down the escalator, but at the same time he keeps going up, right? And then he kind of rolls back down a little bit. Well, finally, he gets up, and he loses his balance again, and he falls again. And then he starts going back up, and then the video cuts off. But you can imagine how that pictures your sanctification. At least it pictures mine, right? I'm on this path. I'm walking with Christ, and I'm, I'm walking this narrow way. And I'm feeling good about some spiritual victories that I've had in my life. And then all of a sudden, pride sets in and I stumble, and I fall. Then I'm left in this guilt and despair, thinking, how in the world could I go from being so zealous for Christ to being such a failure? That's like our sanctification. The Holy Spirit will keep you, believer. He will not let you fall. God's hand is upon you and holding you. But hear the challenge of the text. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. You see, the journey worth traveling. Is the narrow gate, the narrow way. Believer, you will not reach the end of your journey of the difficult road and wish for anything that you have suffered without The fleeting fleshly pleasures that we have abnegated for the call of Christ will only serve to enhance the glory of our being with Christ for eternity. Keep walking the path that you've entered through the narrow gate. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your eyes focused on the prize, on the end. And keep walking. That's our challenge as a church. Perhaps there's someone here this morning. Who says. I've been walking down the wide road. And for me. It's time to enter the narrow gate. I want you to know if that's you. If you sense God calling you and leading you to salvation. To surrender your life to him to enter the narrow gate and. Begin this path of discipleship. I want you to know that I'm here to talk with you about what that means. And to pray with you about what that means. And I'll be down front if you'd like for me to pray with you now. I would love to do that. If you want to catch me after service and talk to me about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. To surrender your life to Him and enter the narrow gate. I want you to know I'm available and I would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus Christ and surrender your life to Him. Believer, maybe for you, this road of discipleship is one that you've been stumbling on. This road of sanctification has got you down. You're in despair, even guilt right now. Perhaps for you, there's the need to confess some things before the Lord. Perhaps for you, there's the need to commit some things to the Lord. However the Lord is leading you this morning, I want you to respond as God leads you. Surrender those areas in your life that maybe you haven't relinquish control, or that you've re-gripped with your own control. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus Christ, our salvation, your Son. Thank you for the good deposit of your Holy Spirit in our life that keeps us in the midst of our failings, in the midst of our stumblings. Father, would you equip us and encourage us? Would you strengthen us to walk in your way, the good way, the right way? Though it be hard, Lord, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us by brothers and sisters walking with us in the journey. Father, I pray for any here this morning who are struggling to surrender control of their own life, that you might draw them near to you that you by your Holy Spirit might work in such a way as to remove those blinders which Satan, our enemy, the enemy of the world, has placed over their eyes. I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit you would work powerfully to draw men and women, boys and girls, to yourself for your glory, for our good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?